Hello and welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, certified nutritional practitioner and PCOS health coach and the host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. So today I have Ariana on the podcast. She's an intuitive coach, writer, and fitness coach. And she will be talking about her struggle with addiction and how she found true healing and health, how she serves others today. We'll be going into how to use exercise as a healthy tool instead of punishment, how to cycle sync with your cycle, um, as well as how to stay motivated during your workout during the winter months, etc. So lots of cool topics today. I'm so excited to share this with you. So let's dive in. So welcome, Ariana, to the podcast. I'm super happy that you're joining me today. Thanks, Laurence. I'm super stoked to be here today. So as I start off with pretty much every guest, I always ask them how did they get their journey started on their, on their health journey, and how did you get to where you are today with becoming a health coach? So were you always into health and fitness? Um, how did it start out for you? Um, I guess I have kind of like... I have a really long relationship with physical activity. Um, I was always active growing up. I was a competitive dancer and figure skater from a very young age. So most of my free time in elementary and high school was spent either on a skating rink or in a dance studio. And I've stayed active pretty much my whole life. Even when I wasn't competing anymore, I would go to the gym now and then, or I would go hiking or snowboarding and things like that. But I never considered myself athletic and I never really looked at physical activity as like something that I did for health. Like for a long time, I competed just because it was what I was used to doing. I hated figure skating my last few years of doing it, but I was so used to it. But I I also started getting really heavily involved with alcohol when I was 13. So I was quite young when that started. And throughout my teens and early 20s, that relationship became very, very toxic. And there was a lot of addiction in my life. And for a while, fitness was only in my life because I was trying to use it to like burn off the damage that I did the night before, which we know now does not work. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'd go out partying all night and I would eat a bunch of gross food on the way home from the bar and I'd wake up in the morning feeling really guilty, super hungover, and I would drag my butt to the gym and do a workout so that I could do it all over again that night. And when I was 23, I, I didn't really have like a rock bottom moment or anything, which I'm very grateful for, but I just, I had this realization that like I was waiting for a rock bottom moment, I guess, which seemed a little silly. So I decided to focus on getting sober. And because I had all this free time on my hands now, and I had like, by that point, drinking was really my only hobby. I didn't have anything to do. So I started to really focus my attention on fitness and learning about nutrition, just as something to give myself something to do. And I started to develop confidence again, and confidence was something I hadn't had in a really, really long time. I had done so many horrible things to my body and for my self-worth through all of my addiction that just little things like, you know, setting a goal of trying a new class at the gym or trying a new piece of equipment, those really tiny goals actually did a lot for my confidence and my self-esteem. 
And after I was sober for a year and I was running and signing up for races and just generally feeling pretty badass, I realized that this was something that A, I was really good at and B, it was something that I could use to help other women experience their own transformations. So I don't necessarily go around saying that I help people who are struggling with addictions and improve their lives through fitness, but I really do believe that fitness is such a powerfully transformative tool in, in all areas of our lives, and it is what allows me to help people really make a positive impact and to get in touch with who they truly are, because I'm a firm believer that we all have something really, really special inside of us, something that only we can bring, and the world needs that. So if we can start by just doing the really basic things, by taking better care of ourselves, building our confidence, showing ourselves what we're capable of, then we are better equipped to tap into those gifts and then share them with the world. So that's like in a very small nutshell <laughs> what brought me to where I am today. I love that. And that was super powerful, the last uh, little bit that you mentioned. I think it's really important to to note that we all have something special inside of us and that's, I think, a huge realization as well. So you said that you had like an aha moment where you kind of just um, flipped the switch? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was just like, okay, I'm sober now. Like, this is how I'm going to do it. I, I knew for quite a few years, like I stopped drinking when I was 23, and I think it was maybe 19 or 20 when I was like, okay, this is a problem and this is something that I can't do my whole life, but I'm young. I'm going to keep going for a while. Mm -hmm. And I I went on vacation with my boyfriend's family for Christmas. Um, so I got sober in January of 2012. And for the Christmas holidays before that, I was on vacation in Australia with my boyfriend's family. And it was still a fairly new relationship. We'd been together, I think, three years by that point, And this was my first time really being with his family for that long of a period. And I, I tried my best to like really be on my best behavior and to try to drink moderately, which is something that up to that point, I didn't think that I could do, but I actually managed to keep myself together pretty well throughout the two weeks. And or I think it was three weeks. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. And so when I got home, I was like, wow, I actually did that. I can drink like a normal human being. This is great. And then I proceeded to blackout like five times within a week. And I realized I was like, okay, this is a problem. I, I've had so, I put myself in so many dangerous situations. I've lost my wallet and my purse and have, have had them returned to me with all of my money still intact. I haven't hurt myself or hurt anybody else yet. My boyfriend hasn't left me from being so terrible to him. It was kind of just one of those moments where I was like, how bad does it need to get for me to be willing to make a change? And it was really scary because up to that point, I had only, I'd only known alcoholic Ariana for the last 10 years. I didn't know who I was underneath. And over the years, like I'm still unpacking all of the things that led to my addiction. But at, at my core, I was so uncomfortable with who I was that it was really scary to start to face that. So 
fitness did give me that outlet. It gave me that opportunity to just kind of get out and do something different. And for a little while, like, I think I did use it in a slightly unhealthy way because it was something, it was still an escape and it gave me something to identify with because I was no longer the alcoholic and I was now like the fitness girl, which is definitely a more positive thing to be associating yourself with. But it, it took a couple of years for me to still be really open and willing to look at who was still hiding underneath the fitness girl. Yeah, I totally can relate to that with um, kind of using one coping mechanism into another, right? Mm-hmm. Using the alcohol first and then using exercise. But um, were you able to do that by yourself or did you have to find support? I went about it on my own. And, you know, I, I don't know if I would have done it any differently. I looked at different things like Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that, and none of them really resonated with me. Um, Because this was 2012, social media wasn't really a thing. So I was just going on forums and like reading other people's experience with sobriety. And over the years, I've done counseling and therapy in, in different forms. But the first probably four years of my sobriety, I didn't get any outside help. And how was that? Was it kind of like a slower process, you think, than if you, you looked for support? I don't know, honestly. I think I think it was kind of just the way that things needed to be for me. Mm-hmm. I think that when I first got sober and I started focusing on fitness, like as we know now, there's so much more to health than just the workouts that you do and the foods that you eat. But yep. I didn't really – I didn't have an understanding of like mindset or personal development or anything like that. I didn't understand self-worth. I don't think that word was even in my vocabulary. So I think that even if I had gotten help, it would still be within like the limited capacity or the limited view that I had of life. Whereas as I've started to become more in touch with who I am and I've started to realize that like some of the traumatic things that happened in my childhood, which I didn't really think were traumatic, but actually were, I've started to see how all of those things kind of piece together. and. So while this journey, like I said, I've been in January of next year, I'll have been sober for seven years and I'm still working through a lot of the things, but I feel like it's all unfolded in the way that it has needed to. And it has given me the ability to empathize with women who I work with, who are all at various stages of their journeys. And it's, it's allowed me to also make a lot of mistakes that I can help other people avoid making. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that too. I think that, I mean, we can go back and look at it and be like, oh, I should have done this before or this, but it's also like your own path that you're meant to go on. And I think for me and you, we've been through our own struggles, but I think that it was meant for a reason. And now we actually use our own experience to help others, right? So I think that's super inspirational and helpful for our business as well, right? Because if you can't really um, relate to somebody, then it's, it's a little bit more difficult to help them. Because you can actually, you know, understand what they're going through. So you mentioned that you kind of used exercise as almost like a punishment for when you were going out and then, oh, I need to go exercise. So how are you able to transition from that place into using it as like a reward or a healthier tool? 
Yeah, it, it's a really, it took a really, really long time. And it's funny because I still now and then, if I am really stressed and I'm not taking care of my emotional well being, I notice those tendencies pop up and I recognize them right away. So it's not like they, they take hold, but I still notice that little thought of being like, you ate things you shouldn't have eaten yesterday. You should go work out. And I'm able to be like, okay, brain, be quiet. But um, it, it took a really long time because. I felt like I was still doing something, I guess, good for my body. I didn't necessarily recognize at the time that I was punishing it. And I wouldn't say that it was until, probably until I started to actually like learn more about physical activity and nutrition and the positive things that came from it, where I really started to change my relationship with movement. For so long, and I think so many people can relate to this, I looked at exercise as something that you did just to lose weight. I didn't think about it as something that could improve my mood or boost my confidence or be great for helping me get stronger and improve my cardiovascular fitness. I didn't think about any of that because I had such a limited view of what exercise was actually meant to be like. So when I started to actually, you know, study fitness and learn that it can help me not feel so winded when I walk up a flight of stairs or that if I have to run for a bus, I can do that. And to really just kind of immerse myself in that world and try different things and learn how they made me feel. When I discovered that I actually felt really good from uh, moving my body and being active, it started to change my relationship with it a little bit. And I feel like this would be another topic for another day, but even when I started to really get into fitness and nutrition, there were definitely some disordered eating habits and um, unhealthy approaches with exercise where I still occasionally would view exercise as a way to offset, you know, binge eating the night before, or if I was going to have like a big holiday dinner that night, I should exercise more in the morning. And I since have been able to. I guess, let go of those beliefs just from learning more about my value as a human being. It hasn't been so much about like learning what exercise is for and what it is not for in more recent years. It's more been learning why it actually doesn't matter to me if I ate a big meal or if I do work out or if I don't work out. It's been that self-discovery piece that's been really important. So I guess it's kind of evolved through the years and it that evolution has coincided with my own personal evolution. When I had a very limited idea of what um, fitness and nutrition were for, that was when I realized that exercise was actually really beneficial just for the body and for improving my mental state. And as now I've, as I've gone deeper into this journey of discovering who I am and really learning to love myself for that, I've also learned that physical activity and eating nutritious foods are just a part of my life and they don't make me any more or any less whole because I am already whole as I am. I love that and obsessed with your last sentence. I think that's really <laughs> important too because yeah, we used, I think we just kind of use external sources to kind of define our worth, but when you actually realize that you're worthy already with what's inside, I think that's like a huge turning point and super empowering and that's the only really way to 
you know, have a healthy relationship with yourself. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I think that's really important uh, for all of us to really realize and tap into that we, we're born worthy, right? Like we don't need to have something outside of us to be yes. worthy. So. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to remember. Like I still on a day-to-day basis have to remind myself that. And I have conversations. I'm very fortunate to have a friend who's on a very similar journey as I am. And we have these conversations together all the time and something will happen. And the root of it again is like realizing that we're not acting in our truth or we're not really honoring who we are. So it's, it's a process. It's not a one and done kind of deal. But I think the more you become aware of it, the easier it is to start to recognize when you're letting a negative self-perception or when you're trying to validate yourself through external means, it's much easier to recognize that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, me too. I I have conversations about that all the time with my friends and they're just like, it's the gremlin that's speaking through you. It's not you. And like, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty cool though, because you start to recognize like what is your true voice and what is not. And when you're getting those um, kind of voices come out, it's interesting to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas before, if you're not really familiar with them, you kind of like can't um, differentiate them. So I think it's really empowering once you kind of get into this kind of work. Um, you can actually tell, okay, is this resistance? Is this a sabotaging thought? Or is my ego trying to protect me from, you know, getting outside my comfort zone, et cetera? Is this even true? So I think, yeah, it definitely comes with time and practice, but um, it gets easier. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about exercise and women's health, specifically hormones. Did you um, struggle with like hormonal imbalances? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm on a journey to undo the damage that I did in my first few years of sobriety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, um, it's all part of the process and working through this as frustrating as it has been has also given me a lot of a lot of perspective on things that other women deal with. And I wouldn't have the knowledge that I have around hormones had I not gone through this myself. And so when it comes to women's health specifically and hormones, I know, um, well, we both see a lot of kind of excess exercise and cardio Mm -hmm. and like go to the gym for two hours. Um, What would you say is like too much exercise, especially when it comes to like hormonal imbalances? Because I think a lot of women think that they just need to eat less and exercise more and that everything will turn out. But how is that wrecking their hormonal health or even their health in general? Yeah, it, it's it's impacting us in so many different ways. And it's unfortunate that there's still that advice of, oh, just eat less and move more, that that's still floating around. Because for the vast majority of women that I encounter, like sure, that maybe is the truth for some, but for the majority of women, it's actually a matter of eating more and moving less. And when it comes to too much, it's kind of like every everything in the world of fitness. Like it really does depend. But I I have kind of a sometimes it's not so much controversial, but it's a little bit of a different take on like what too much exercise is. And there's been a lot of talk of overtraining in recent years, you know, as marathons become more popular and people are doing lots of CrossFit and doing all these things, everyone's talking about being in a state of overtraining. And I actually believe that it's not so much a matter of overtraining. It's actually a matter of under recovering because if we look at what professional athletes are doing, they are training an insane amount and they're training more than your average fitness enthusiast at 
higher intensities. And sure, their programs are probably put together much more intelligently, but they still have a lot going on. But the thing is, is that because that is their job, they can also take the recovery just as seriously as they take the training. The difference for us is that most of us have jobs. We have lives. We have other stressors that are going on because exercise, physical activity, however you want to refer to it, it is stressful on the body. It's a good kind of stress, but it's still stressful. So when we do that for longer periods of time, when we go for long, long runs or when we do lots and lots of cardio because we think that it's going to help us lose weight, And then we add on the stress of a job that we're feeling unfulfilled in and getting stuck in traffic and having to pick up the kids and all of these different obligations that are on our plates. That's where we can really start to negatively impact our hormones. Because I've had clients who, I had a client once who she was in between jobs and she was perfectly happy not having a job at that point. And she was training a lot, but she was also really prioritizing her recovery and she was doing amazing. Once she got a job and started working again, she tried to keep up with that same level of intensity in her workouts and she just couldn't do it because she didn't have the time to put into her recovery. So I would say that, you know, as a general thing to think about, like, I guess I would say to look more at your intentions behind your exercise habits and that might give you an insight into whether it is too much or not. Because let's say you're doing an hour of cardio every single day because you think that's what you need to do to maintain a certain body composition and that's all you have time for so you're not going to do anything else for recovery like prioritizing sleep or looking at your foods that you're eating or any other things that we do for recovery. That might be a sign that the things that you're doing are a little bit too much for you. Whereas if somebody has an hour a day to dedicate to their physical well-being, and sometimes that comes in the form of high-intensity workouts, and then sometimes that comes in the form of like a stretching or yoga or mobility session, then even just from looking at that, we can see a very different energy behind those actions, and it can give some insight into that that person may actually not be doing too much for them. Does that make sense? Totally. So a recovery session would kind of look like stretching or yoga or slower movement or just kind of like de-stressing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So like going for like a leisure walk. So nothing super, super crazy. You know, if you're taking your dog out for a long walk, like you said, the stretching, the yoga, mobility, like hanging out on your foam roller. Um, And then even just like life stuff. So learning to manage stress overall, whether that's through meditation, learning to take a few deep breaths when you feel that flight or fight response kicking in, taking a bath, um, having supportive relationships where you can talk about your feelings openly, like all of those different things will have an impact on how your body recovers from activity. Love it. I think that's super important to mention because even me, I'll, you know, I'll do my workout and then I'll be like, oh yeah, I don't really have time to do this warm down or I don't really warm up, which is bad. And I know I should do it, but I think we kind of like overlook that. So I think that's a really good reminder for all of us. And what does, um, does a type of exercise matter as well, especially when it comes to like weight loss or hormonal health? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a firm believer that like everything is great in moderation. So whether we're looking at that from a food standpoint or from physical activity, 
cardio is great. I love cardio. I feel amazing when I do cardio. I train for triathlons. I didn't this year just to give my body a bit of a break from all of that, but like it's super fun. I love it. It's great for our heart and our lungs. I think strength training is amazing because it allows us to improve our metabolism. The hormonal shifts that we get in our bodies from strength training are absolutely fantastic. It can increase growth hormone, which I know maybe sounds a little bit scary, but what that does is it just helps, um, it helps you build muscle. And as women, we're not going to build big bulky muscles. I think that the idea that that can happen is starting to um, not be a thing anymore, which is great. Um, but it's really important for us to have that lean muscle mass because that's going to help us with our metabolism. It's going to help us be strong so that when someone asks us if we need help with our luggage, we can say no thank you. Um, it's also great for regulating estrogen and testosterone, and it just empowers us. Like There is nothing more badass than a woman who is confident in the gym and or any other kind of movement and to like be able to confidently execute different movements. And, you know, and if I am working with clients in the gym, if they're lifting weights that are heavier than like the guys that are down on the other side of the gym, they're always super, super proud of themselves. So just from like a mood standpoint, it's also really beneficial. But when we take things too far, that's when we can start to get into some tricky areas. So if we look at cardio, for example, cardio and the hormonal shifts that it induces, it tends to put us in more of a catabolic state, which means um, catabolic means we're more in like a muscle breakdown and fat storage state. So chronically, or sorry, doing constant cardio can like chronically elevate your stress hormones, specifically your cortisol. And what cortisol does, like when we're running for hours and hours and hours each day, like if you're training for lots of marathons and never giving your body a break, your body doesn't actually know that you're running for enjoyment. It thinks maybe that you're running from a saber-toothed tiger. So that cortisol is going to be elevated and your body is going to think, okay, Ariane is in danger right now, so we better make sure that we keep her safe. Let's keep the fat because we don't know if what she's running away from, maybe we're going to need this. And let's specifically send it right into the belly. And this is something that I see from a lot of women. I have women who train for races as a means to lose weight and they get frustrated because they end up gaining weight during their training process. And it's oftentimes due to this elevated cortisol. What that elevated cortisol also does is it sends your cravings right up. So I don't know if you've ever done like a really long, intense workout and you just want to eat everything in sight afterwards. Yep. Yeah, same. Um, so that it can also really negatively impact any weight loss efforts that you have, but also just your overall health and well-being. Um, you know, we've, we talked about this previously. If you are going on these crazy binges, and if, even if that's like a post-exercise binge, if you're eating tons of sugar, tons of processed carbohydrates, that can really mess with your insulin levels, which will start to throw off other hormones in the body. Same thing with strength training. If you do too much of it, especially on a very low-carb diet, it, as has become popular in like the CrossFit world, um, that can also lead to an increase of cortisol, which is not great for the body. So it's not that cardio and strength training are bad. It's just that when we do them in ways that are maybe more than we can handle in that time, and I say handle from like a full life perspective, from a stress management perspective, it's when we do 
too much exercise and then we aren't fueling our bodies properly and we're not recovering properly, that's when we can start to experience that negative impact on our hormones, which we can sometimes hear about with exercise. Totally. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think it's also people are kind of like all or nothing. It's like I do this or that. You Mm -hmm. can totally, you know, balance them together. And I think that's the best way to do it for the most part. But um, I want to talk a little bit about cycle syncing with your workouts because I have attempted this, but I am a little bit guilty of just kind of like keeping up my routine throughout the month. But I do think it's very beneficial to look into cycle syncing. Um, and then I also explained like if you don't feel like you want to do like the HIIT workout when you're on your menstrual cycle, it's totally scientifically um, like there's a reason behind it. So can you talk about cycle syncing? Do you do it? Do you recommend it? What does it entail? Yeah, for sure. So I guess I follow it in kind of an intuitive way. um, And that's only really been since this year. So up until 2017, I had been training for triathlons for the last few years. And when you're training for triathlon, you kind of just got to do what's on your plan when it shows up. And I think that there would have been more intelligent ways for me to maybe adapt my workouts a little bit. But I definitely would notice that at certain points throughout the month, I would feel really fatigued on the bike or that I would feel like I had a brick tied to me when I was in the pool. And I never really understood why until late last year when I started to look more into this. So I follow it now, not so much because I'm specifically paying attention to where I'm at in my cycle and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm ovulating today. I should go hit the gym and lift some heavy weights. It's more, I really just listen to what my body wants And I don't follow much of an exercise plan now. I kind of just see how I feel like moving my body that day. And it's funny because then when I do look at where I'm at in my cycle, I'm like, oh, right. Okay. That totally makes sense that I just want to lay on my mat and stretch today. (laughs) So um, to give our listeners like a quick, quick overview on this. So within our menstrual cycles, we essentially have like two phases. We have our follicular phase, which is days one to 14 of your cycle. Um, Day one being the day you get your period. And then we have our luteal phase, which is uh, days 15 to 28. And again, this assumes that you have a 28-day cycle. Um, Most women don't necessarily have that specific 28 days. And mine is still on the irregular side. So it does make it challenging for me to know exactly where I'm at in my cycle. But understanding how these fluctuations go, we can kind of start to gain an idea of where we may be falling. So in that follicular phase, those first 14 days, this is where we have our period, we're shedding the uterine lining, and we're probably bleeding for those first three to five days. And then in days 15 to 28 in our luteal phase, this is where the egg implants itself into the uterine lining. And then if it doesn't get fertilized, this is where the body prepares to shed the uterine lining. So preparing for our menses. And during that luteal phase, this is when we're having a climb in progesterone. So progesterone is almost like a little bit of a relaxing hormone. Um, So you might find as well that your body feels a little bit like a little bit more sluggish, a little bit uncomfortable, and your body temperature actually increases during the luteal phase as well. So you might find that you're a little bit hotter. Both of those things, so or I guess all three, being kind of tired, being a little bit Um, uncomfortable and being hotter, all of that can make exercise, like intense exercise, not feel amazing. Um, 
This is also when our body is more likely to burn fat. So this is a good time of our cycle to be doing things that are a little bit more cardiovascular in nature. So this could be going for a bike ride or getting outside and enjoying a run to just soak up some of that fresh air to invigorate yourself a little bit more. Or it could also be a good time to do some strength training, but in a circuit style format so that your heart rate is up a little bit more. Maybe you're not hitting as heavy of weights, but you're consistently moving and feeling like you're doing some cardio, but also getting the benefits of strength training. During those first 14 days of your cycle in the follicular phase, this is when we are starting to have climbs in estrogen, and it kind of peaks and valleys a few times throughout the whole cycle, but we get a big climb in estrogen during this follicular phase. This is when we have more stamina, when we're recovering more quickly, and this is a great time to be doing some strength training, to be doing more of the intense workouts because your body is going to feel really, really good, and especially right in your mid-cycle, I think it's like day 8 to 11, 8 to 11 or 11 to 13. It's somewhere right in the middle. I'm sorry. The, the specific days are evading me right now. But that's, no, that's when we get like a big spike in testosterone. And that big spike in testosterone is going to give you a lot more confidence in your workouts. So it's a great time to go. And if you're like, if you're an avid CrossFitter or weightlifter, this is the time to try to hit your PRs on your big lifts. For me, I always hoped I had a race falling on my ovulation day because I felt like I would kill it in my race. We can't always have our races matched up to our cycles, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a really, really good time to like go and do the big things. So it's really just a matter of like if you can use an app, I use one called P.C for period calendar to start to track your period and like track your different symptoms and the ways that you feel throughout your cycle, you'll start to notice some patterns. So for me, when my progesterone climbs during the start of that luteal phase, I feel so exhausted. Like it takes every ounce of my energy to be able to pull myself out of bed. And I usually just end up doing some yoga if I make it that far. I oftentimes will just like lay on my mat and roll around, which is good because it just gets the lymphatic system moving, gets the body moving, but it's nothing intense. Whereas on those first couple of days of my period, like the first day or two, I'm a little crampy, so I don't like to do a whole lot. But like after that second or third day, I feel great. And I just want to go hit the weights and like do all of the stuff. So use this as a guideline and start to notice how those fluctuations impact you in your own cycle. Yeah, I think that's really powerful to note to really track it, but not only for workouts and all of that, but to actually understand like why you're feeling like this. And even like you can do it for nutrition as well. Like some foods are better in the first half, some are more for the second half to promote estrogen or progesterone. So yeah, I definitely recommend people to download apps. There are tons of free ones and um, it's really empowering to kind of understand why you may be feeling like more fatigued or what you really need to support yourself. So that's a great recommendation. Yeah. Before I started using that, I would always wonder, like, and I would get down on myself for feeling so tired or I would wonder why I was so crazy or feeling so anxious. And now I know when those things start to happen, like when the crazies hit, I'm like, oh, okay, it's that time of to happen. (laughs) And so how would we adapt our workouts to our stress load? Like if it depends if someone's going through a really stressful period or maybe exam period, how can Mm -hmm. we adapt that? It's kind of like cycle syncing, but 
with our stress. Yeah. It's like life cycle syncing almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, so if I have somebody, I work with a lot of accountants, oddly enough. I don't know why I work with lots of accountants, but it's just something, I guess. And whenever tax season rolls around, so like late January to end of April, I know that that's not the time to be throwing them through hit circuits and really heavy strength training and things like that because they they just don't have the capacity to recover properly because of all of the stress that their job is taking or placing on them. So during that time, we might do some of those like strength cardio circuits that I talked about before. We keep the weights a little bit lighter. I keep the intensity lower. I would incorporate longer rest breaks. So rather than doing like a Tabata style circuit, we might do like 30 seconds of work and a minute of rest. Trying to find ways to incorporate more downtime into the workouts is going to be really helpful. And also ensuring that you aren't putting your body through something that's very, very challenging for yourself if you don't have the capacity to recover properly after. And that's different for everybody, right? Like I've been active and lifting weights and running and swimming and cycling for years. So my intensity will be different than your intensity. But you know, like if you're in the middle of a workout and your lungs are um, burning and you can't breathe and there's that lactic acid buildup in your legs, that's a sign that you're in quite an intense workout. And that's maybe not the thing to do when you're going through a very stressful period of your life. Find ways to move your body that include more rest and restoration into the workout itself. So yoga is amazing. And I would say hot yoga and like intense power yoga are also not super beneficial during a really, really stressful time. But, you know, if you do a Hatha class or a gentle flow or a yin or restorative, those are great. Pilates is amazing because it's actually really hard, but also not super, super intense on the body. Um, We talked before about going for leisure walks. This is a great time to try different activities like indoor rock climbing, um, getting outside, things that just elevate your mood in general. Um, And if you're not into like, you know, yoga and stuff like that, and you want to still be in the gym, just give yourself longer rest breaks, maybe scale back on the weights that you're using a little bit, opt for something that's a little bit lighter, and maybe cut an extra 10 to 15 minutes off your workout and give yourself some extra time for a stretch. Love it. Great tips. So as we approach the winter months and January resolutions and all of that. How do you stay motivated during your workouts? Because I know some days some people may feel like super motivated, but then the next day they're like, oh, I don't really want to get up early and go to the gym. Or they feel like they're just like getting through their workouts, but they, they're really dreading the whole thing and they just want it to be over. So how can you stay motivated when you feel those, those moments of you know, you just want to get off and go home. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So I think there's a few things at play here. Um, The first one that I would say is to really make physical activity a habit because we're all going to experience dips in motivation. Like I will sometimes have weeks or months where I feel unmotivated to work out, but I still go and do something because it's just, it's part of what I do. And I've been at it long enough that I am able to adapt the different types of workouts that I do and things like that based on my mood. But if it's a habit, we don't need to rely on motivation quite so much, which is nice because having to rely on motivation and willpower all the time can be quite exhausting. 
So give yourself time in just making physical activity a regular part of your life, whether that is in the form of a structured workout or doing those really cliche but actually still really effective things like parking your car farther away from an entrance or taking the stairs instead of the elevator or escalator. You know, when you start to just put your mind in a space of like looking for ways to be more active, it naturally just begins to translate into being more likely to go and get the movement session done, whether that is a workout or a walk or whatever it may be. When it comes to building habits, what I think is super, super important is to really understand why you want to exercise in the first place. And if you don't like the word exercise, use whatever word resonates with you. But like, why are you wanting to do this? Is it just to lose weight? And if so, like if you want to change your body composition, that's a super valid reason, but like take it deeper. Why do you want to change your body composition? What does that allow you to do? How does that make you feel? And if it has nothing to do with your body composition, okay, if it makes you feel more fit, makes you feel more energetic, those things are great. But how does that impact your life on the big scale? It, this is when you need to put on, like channel your inner four-year-old and just start asking yourself why. Every time you come up with an answer, okay, why does that matter? I love that. Why yeah. does that matter? Yeah. And just like really get to the root and remind yourself of that. And that'll make it easier to cultivate those habits. I think that's a great thing to mention too with the habits because it literally becomes automatic, right? So Mm -hmm. you literally don't even kind of think about it. So I think that's a great thing. And you were going to say the the last tip? Yeah, the last piece of that is to really approach yourself from a space of self-compassion because there will be days where your habits fail you and you don't end up going to the gym or you don't do your workout or you do lay on your couch for a week under a blanket. And when we beat ourselves up for doing those things, it really doesn't help with that motivation factor. Whereas if we can come from a space of self-compassion and just understand that that was a thing and it wasn't good or bad, but it happened and we can move on, it makes it much easier to not always be on this getting on the wagon, getting off the wagon kind of roller coaster and to just understand that those ebbs and flows are natural. And if we can ride them, then for the most part, we're going to be pretty good. It's fine. I love it. Yeah, for me too, that resonated because I kind of started a habit of having my workouts in the morning with a podcast. So it's kind of like, I like podcasts and it kind of, it's not like a distraction, but it's something else that's going on while I'm doing my workout. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also something that motivates me because I'm actually getting my workout in and I'm also listening to something that's, you know, either educational or motivating or inspiring. Um, So I think it can be helpful, like, especially having like really um, pumped up music or music that you like um, or little things like that that can actually add to your routine or make you want to look forward to it. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah, I think also doing things that are actually fun. Like for me, I used to go to the gym on the treadmill and I hated it so much. And now I just do like YouTube videos or I make up my own kind of strength um, training workouts and it's so much more enjoyable. So I think that's a big thing too, to kind of do something that you like to do. Yeah. Everyone's going to tell you like the best exercise for this is blah, blah, blah. And you should be doing that. But ultimately like the best form of exercise is the one that you enjoy and can stick with. And it will probably adapt and evolve through the years. And that's totally okay. 
for sure. Totally agree. Well, I loved everything you talked about today. I think that's super motivational and inspiring, especially your story. So where can we find you? What are you working on? Share with us uh, what's going on. Cool. Yeah. Um, you can find me in a lot of different places. So I also have a podcast called The Daily Sweat with Ariana, and we talk all about health and wellness and personal development, a little bit of business development too. And so there's the podcast. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I have a very uninstagrammable name, but it's Ariana Fotonakis. <laughs> um, if you put that in the show notes, that'll be I will definitely awesome put so people all can this. spell yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, my website is the same, ariannafotonakis.com. I've got lots and lots of blog posts on there. Um, it's kind of like the hub for everything I do. Excuse me. I have a Facebook community called the Daily Sweat Community where we have women from all over the world who are going about their own healthy journeys, finding ways to fit physical activity into their lives. And it's just really a supportive space and a place to post workout selfies if you need somewhere to post those. And I don't know what time when this podcast is being released. Um, Should be next week or the week after. Perfect. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so beginning of December, from December 10th to December 24th, I'm running a free holiday fitness challenge. And my goal is to just help women see that it is possible to still take care of yourself and still prioritize your health and well-being during this really crazy busy time of year. I provide daily quick 10 to 15 minute workouts, uh, mindset insights to help you stay calm and centered and grounded throughout the holiday season. And these challenges are always super fun and we've got some really cool prizes. So if you want to join, um, I will be posting about that on Instagram and there will be some information on that on my website as well. Amazing. How exciting. Well, I will yeah. definitely put all the notes um, in the show notes. I'm super excited for you. I think that's amazing that you're offering that. Um, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and your awesomeness today with my listeners. And um, I had a really fun chat with you. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I, I loved the conversation that we had today. So thank you. Of course.